Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome to Encounter Grace. Uh, I'm glad you're here. My name is Jason McKnight, and it's going to be a great day today. I'm excited to share with you a -a one-of-a-kind character, truly. Josiah Corgan is a local attorney in civil litigation, but that's not all he does. He is a woodworker and a car tinkerer, and he loves his wife and kids and does all sorts of adventurous things with them. He also serves as an elder here at Grace and co-leads one of our house churches. Josiah, welcome. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. And we're not going to talk about any of that stuff. (laughs) We're actually going in a whole different direction. I want to talk to you about hunting, and I want to think with you about hunting how Christians can think carefully about how we as humans interact with the world around us. A lot of people suggest it's cruel to hunt or sub-Christian to kill animals. And I'd sure agree with them if we're talking sadistic stuff. But you actually love to hunt and you love to encounter God's grace while you're in it. Whole lot of folks in Eastern North Carolina love hunting. Let's talk about creation care, hunting, conservation, and discipleship. Let's do it. When did you first go hunting? Man, I was See, probably, I'm so local, I say hunting. I don't even say hunting. Hunting. Um, <laughs> I was probably in the six to eight range mm-hmm. um, when I first probably entered the field with my dad. Um, I didn't, I don't think that I carried a gun till I was north of 10, but hunting with him, accompanying him and his buddies um, in where I grew up in central Kentucky in the Lexington area, probably six or seven years old. That's great. And what today, even to today, like what's the joy or the thrill of it for you? Well, some of my best memories from childhood are that. Hmm. Being around um, men doing adventurous stuff when you're a little boy feels wild and it feels big and grown up. And so um, some of the most impactful memories that I have are being welcomed into that group of men, my dad and his friends and aspiring to be like them. Mm -hmm. And so that sticks with me. Um, I've had some great outdoor experiences, some harrowing. Uh, I almost died once in a cave, not while hunting, (laughs) but caving. Um, uh, I've been, I've hunted and fished in uh, a lot of, a lot of different places from Mm -hmm. California, fishing for trout, Colorado and Idaho, hunting for elk, uh, Michigan, Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, um, I've had a lot of opportunities to go. You've a lot hunted of in more states than I visited. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Every state I visit, I try to hunt or fish in. So. <laughs> That's good. Alligator in Florida? No, just fishing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, just fishing in Florida. Yeah, that's good. That's Boring good. stuff. I really only fish when there's no hunting season. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself a sadistic person? I don't. I don't. And that's, I think that is an important part of the discussion yeah. Yeah, and the is. debate. Um, and it's great to have these kind of debates. And it's a great chance to, I think, whether you're speaking with believers or unbelievers, to show some common grace about these things. Not everybody's going to resolve these questions right. in the same way. And that's fine. Yep, it totally is. Well, let's start making a case. I mean, I'm, I'm prompting you here to make the case. Uh, back before grocery stores, you know, we can go all the way back to Noah, hunting was a part of the way you'd feed your family. Do you think hunting's a result of the fall? I mean, let's get speculative. <clears throat> well, I think the first mention of consuming animals is somewhere around Genesis 1, later in the chapter 25, 26. So I can't remember... I think that's prior to the fall, the fall, which happened in Genesis three, right? Yeah, so, dominion. It talks about dominion, and, and and I think it says I gave you, you know, all of the creatures are created in kind, 
And then it says, um, let us make man in our image and mm. our likeness and give them dominion and control. Right. And there's a responsibility nested and rooted in that, right? And so then later on in Genesis 9, when Noah and his family are charged with it, yeah. and it's clear then that they're going to consume some animals. Um, I think that they're not given that... Um, <clears throat> They're not given that license without that responsibility from Genesis. So I think that it's unclear to me whether or not Adam and Eve were eating animals. Right. I don't know that we know. But we know Noah was. It was certainly Noah was. Yeah. Post-fall. Post-fall. So is hunting the result of the fall? I'd say yes, because if there was meat consumption, I think Adam could have said, hey, tiger, come over here, and I'm going to take a steak off your back, I guess. I, that's speculation <laughs> for me. But, right. you know, I, I don't understand the way that Adam interacted with animals. I don't know if the animals yeah. talked. Right. I don't know what. And I don't know what changed after the fall, except for the specific curse given to the serpent. It's unclear. There's curses given to the ground. There's curses mm-hmm. given to childbirth. There's curses given to work. Mm-hmm. Or at least those mm-hmm. things will be toil now rather than yep. pleasure. Right. And so it's unclear to me whether it's the result of the fall, but I think it's clear that post-fall, it's, it's commissioned in the Bible that it's an acceptable thing to do. Right. Do you think there's a moral difference between raising sheep or cattle for meat and hunting a deer? I don't think it's moral as much as ethical, but there is an ethic to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's mm-hmm. an ethic really to everything we do. <clears throat> I think that there is... And one of the uh, interesting dynamics, I think, between maybe urban culture and and um, more rural culture, where you could maybe define the class of hunters and non-hunters, which mm-hmm. clearly th- those lines are not distinctive like that. Right. But I think part of the issue is this idea of an ethical approach to your consumption. Are you a part hmm. of the environment that right. you consume, and do you do? And that's not that's not a Christian idea. It's a human idea, and it has a lot of stronghold, I think, in secular thinking. So there's an ethic to it. I think that, um, you know, if you drive, for example, if if someone says to me that they're opposed to hunting and they think that what I do is cruel or Mm -hmm. shouldn't be allowed or that I shouldn't participate in it, um, my first thought is, have you ever seen a Sanderson Farms truck? I have nothing against Sanderson. I love Sanderson. But those chickens are in those pens, and if you think that, a fair chase, um, you know, uh, hunt for an animal is is cruel or suffering. I don't think you've come face to face with the reality of where your food comes from. Right. If you if consume you meat, meat or yeah. if you wear leather products or if you participate in anything like that, I think you have an ethical responsibility, especially if you're going to make a case against someone doing or not doing something, to go and educate yourself on it. Go to a farm, mm, participate yeah. in a farm, or go see corporate production of your food stuff. Mm-hmm. I think your eyes will be open and it will probably have a difference uh, it'll have an impact on your perspective of hunting. So for me, um, I think there's an ethic to all forms of consumption. Going to the grocery mm, store, I think there's yeah. an ethic about where your groceries come from. Who picked your groceries? That's good. Uh, you know, who put, picked your produce? Where did your meat come from? How is it processed? Is it full of hormones? Is it full of antibiotics? So I bring it home and give it to my six-year-old. I think it's, there's an ethic there that I need to partially be responsible for. Mm-hmm. So really, you're thinking it through on every level. We need to be. And so the hunting question is just part of that. To me, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, it's ingrained in me. It's part of my culture and my worldview. But even if you break it out apart from that and we just talk objectively about the thing, I think it stands up to comparison even then. Yeah, for sure. Um, Aside from hunting, what do you love to do in life? Well, um, I used to play sports, and now I coach them. Because <laughs> uh, your kids are growing. My kids are growing, and I've, my body is breaking down. But 
Um, yes. You're like the only person I know who's, who's torn both Achilles. Yeah, I'm, I like to be special when I go in. I go all in. Um, yeah, I, I, I like to uh, I like to build stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I like to spend time with my family. We like to travel. I like to cook. Um, I, I, a big passion of mine with hunting is that I get to consume it, and right. and I don't think that I would hunt now, especially. Um, as often as I do or as passionate as I do, if I couldn't eat and consume what I hunt. So for me, those two are tied. I love introducing people to the outdoors, Mm. wild game um, to consume and and the adventure of hunting, getting dads who maybe don't have a history of hunting involved with their sons Mm -hmm. who do. Um, So that sports, uh, recreation, I like to read, I like to cook, I like to build things. Love it, love it. Um, How long have you lived in Kinston? We've lived in Kinston since, I think, 2000 and... Twelve. Been working in Kinston since. No, that's not right. Two thousand eleven, maybe. We've been working here since two thousand eight. Okay. We were living in Newburn initially, commuting up, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head when we when, when we, we moved to Kinston. Moved. Somewhere between two thousand ten and two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Got to remember which kid was born when. McKenna was born in Newburn. <laughs> Declan was born here. So it was prior to two thousand eleven. So it was two thousand ten, I think, that we. We moved here. I love it. Uh, while we were still trying to sell the house in Newburn. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Drag of time. What do you love about Kinston? Well, and you and, and about and or this. Eastern North Carolina, yeah. but and you and I talked about this. I value uh, integrated life, and and mm-hmm. I think that that is more achievable in a small town than in a large city. Hmm. And not that one is better than the other. And and you can certainly achieve an integrated life in a, a larger area. I think it's harder. I think life becomes more fractured right. when you may have sports in this side of town, and you may live on this side of town, and work in this side of town, and your church may be over here. Kinston's not big enough for there to be that. And so you rub shoulders with a lot of the same people. A lot of the people that I work with or that are my clients are the same people I see in the grocery store. A lot of those are the same people that I go to church with, that I get to have sports, you know, uh, people that I represent. I coach their kids in soccer. We see each other in the grocery store. And to me, there's a, a level of accountability there. Mm-hmm. Um, your community holds you responsible for certain things. Yeah. You have a reputation, whether it's good or bad. Um, and uh, I just think it's easier. it's easier to do life the way we like to do it. I know, like, everybody knows I yell on the sideline in the soccer game. It's so bad. I'm known as the crazy coach uh, who yells, but it's just because I want the kids to hear me. That's true. Yeah, well, and it is a long way across the field. And I don't have a quiet voice. <laughs> that is what you do at the end of the game, though. Uh, okay, so we were talking as we were kind of prepping this and thinking what would be helpful and, and so forth. But you, you related about sitting in the deer stand one day with one of your kids, and I forget which one. You had them all up there. And it just being a great opportunity for a discussion of nature and how nature all works together. And, hey, how did this come about? Could it have been evolutionism with no God or a creator God in charge? I mean, share that with us. And, yeah, and- I think it was McKenna all, uh, the time that I referenced to you, although I'm sure I've had the similar conversation with the boys. But, um, y- you know, a lot of hunting is waiting. And, and that's part of what I value mm-hmm. introducing kids to it is, is it's not a video game. It's not an instant gratification. Um, there's success and failure in it. There's toil in it. And let's be honest, my kids don't struggle, and I need to find things for them to struggle for. Right. And so it's a good opportunity for that. And so while you're sitting there waiting, you got a lot of quality time. Um, you know, if you're hunting in a, in a deer stand that is uh, like a box stand like we do over a field, there's no chance really of the deer hearing you if you're whispering when they're not in the field. And so, you know, we may have 45 minutes to an hour to talk and, and – seeing owls land in the trees or we've seen owls go down and get prey rabbit squirrel 
um, thinking about field mice and seeing crops grow, the wind blows, the, the clouds come over. Um, it's just a great opportunity to think about what is the world and, and how big is the world and how old is the world and how does all this interact and bees being pollinators and yeah, birds yeah. being responsible. And you've, you know the story about elk reintroduction or I'm sorry, wolf reintroduction in Yellowstone and mm -hmm. how um, that changed the ecosystem because the elk and the other cervids were overgrazing mm -hmm. um, the the plants before they could mature, and that affected the beavers. The beavers affect the ponds. The ponds affect the streams, and all that affected the birds and the bees, and in the literal sense, not in the metaphorical <laughs> sense. And and so the wolves, while they don't take down a number of the elk through predation any more than they would normally die through starvation or disease they disperse them more and the right. elk then aren't able to overgraze. And so just that example and being able to see that in nature and understand that and have a conversation about that, it begs the question, where did all this come from? Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's a chance to integrate real life experiences into a worldview and to not just say, this is philosophical. This is what your parents believe. Right. You have to believe it. Yeah. This, is, this is an 11 year old testing that idea and seeing it conceptually and really internalizing it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, I should have had my kids hunting all this time, like just the time of the deer sin. But it's really anything, as long as you're thinking, how can I help my son or daughter Same engage the world? Like you can be doing it while you're changing the oil in the car Absolutely. or... You know. On the way to a basketball game. Yeah. And yeah. so those conversations can occur anywhere. It's just that particularly yes. that conversation about the world, Creation. about the sun rising. Yeah. And, and here's another example. We've been praying for uh, the persecuted church. Mm -hmm. It's been on, on Lindsay's heart to pray for the persecuted church. Well, you know, time zones are hard for six-year-olds to understand. Right. But when you say, look, you see the sun come up and the sun set. The sun, and you've seen the globe, and you know that the sun goes on the other side of the world. We're sleeping. We're getting ready to go to sleep now. We're going to pray for them because they're about to wake up. Mm. They get that. And when you are in the stand before dark and you see the sunrise, and you're in the stand at sunset and you see the sunset, just conceptually, the kid gets to experience that. And so yeah. there's other ways for children to learn that. Hunting is not the supreme way for that. But for our family, it's a great place to introduce those concepts and to reinforce them and let kids test those ideas by themselves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A lot of churches leverage hunting for men's fellowship and, and maybe hunting groups or fishing groups or, or kind of stuff like that, formally or informally, organically. I think maybe we do here more organically. Talk about that. I think it's a great um, aspect of, of ministry to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of men, they desire to feel wild. You'll remember John Eldridge wrote a book called Wild at Heart and yeah. followed it up with a couple of others and his wife has written books. And, and whether or not you agree with his premise or his conclusion is not the point. I think that a lot of people related well to that book because it touched on something that they had they knew internally but maybe couldn't speak about. Church oftentimes sanitizes us. I mean, most churches have an expectation of how you're going to dress and when you're going to show up and what you're going to say. And a lot of guys feel, I think, disconnected from that. Also, men are fraternal by nature. And, and not to say that women aren't, but um, I think that getting together and sharing an experience with a guy speaks volumes yeah. of unspoken things, and bonds are formed in that way. And so I think that when you're trying to minister to people by meeting them where they are, um, a lot of guys have better experiences if they get to do things they like together. That opens the door, and if you're trying to disciple someone, gives you a seat at their table. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's a great thing to leverage hunting and fishing, um, especially for guys that maybe are, 
come to church because they feel like they need to, but don't feel like they get something out of it. Right. To recognize that there are other men who would pour into me. We can go have wild, not not just dangerous or reckless. Right. But experiences that aren't sanitized and given to us. And maybe even some might think feminized. Men might think that. And so to get outside of that, to be unbounded by that, um, I think can be can be very powerful. I've shared a lot of uh, intimate spiritual moments with other guys mm-hmm. because we were around a campfire or in a trout stream or um, tracking a, a deer through mm-hmm. the woods. There's something about a campfire. <clears throat> There's just something about a campfire. And there's something about a shared experience. And when you get to revisit that, remember that time we went yeah, to, yeah. that's going to stick with you. Having an experience is going to be sort of a marker for you. And if that's part of your spiritual journey, it's almost like you know building a monument of stone and, because you have the photos from it, right. you have the punched tag from it, or you have the mount from it, or you ate the meal from it. And so that shared experience gives us something to revisit through the process of trying to minister mm-hmm. to each other. That's really good. Let's talk conservation or stewardship. I mean, when Christians talk stewardship, uh, you know, everyone's like, uh oh, the pre- preacher's going to talk about money, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But stewardship is so brain. much more than that. <laughs> it's like our whole lives because God's in control of everything, He owns everything, sure. and so we get to manage. How, how do we, how are we as Christians kind of thinking about, ought to be thinking about in your mind anyway, conservation mm-hmm. or creation care or stuff like this? I'll say this conservation of of wild natural places in the United States is definitely set up with a, with a biblical model. Mm-hmm. Conservation in the U.S. Is, is based on the premise of stewardship. And so whether it's a secular introduction to it or a religious introduction to it, the idea of conserving is stewarding. Yeah. And so even the endangered species lists and um, the idea of earmarking lands under federal protection for refuges or for hunting by, only, by permit national park system, all of mm-hmm. that is stewardship-minded. Roosevelt, Muir, and these guys, they said, look at all these places and look what technology and advancement is doing. We need to save some of these places where we can go and commune with nature. Now, that may be because you approach that from a deistic perspective or a Christian perspective or an atheistic perspective, but everybody understands saving these things and earmarking them for a better use. Conservation in the United States of wildlife is under the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Department and then state natural resources departments or fish and game departments. They all call them different things. Taxes from the purchase of firearms and outdoor equipment goes to fund that. Hmm. So that's almost like a tithe where we're going to take, we're going to give sort of the first fruits of these purchases. And and most states do not have a line item budget for conservation. Conservation is funded by the sportsmen. So hunters are the first conservationists. Hunters also care as much and sometimes more about those wild places because they want to keep doing those things. And so... Ethical hunters care very much about conservation and are the leading conservationists. Um, you think about National Wildlife, Wild Turkey Foundation. You think about the um, Elk Foundations mm-hmm. and Ducks Unlimited. Yep. Habitat restoration, elk reintroduction to their historic range. Um, you know, all of these things that they do for the animals. Yeah, so that they can be hunted and consumed ethically, but also so that they can be perpetuated and can exist. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Let's go bigger. I mean, how do we think... Creation care or, or environmentalism or, you know, as people are talking, we got to save the globe and it can mean so many things. And I'm talking now just maybe off of hunting for one second, but like everybody every day is reading headlines or seeing news on their feeds about climate change or, you know, whatever it is, like severe storms or crazy weather or blah, blah, blah. 
how do we as Christians, I mean, just, and I'm just asking you this, and how do we deal with this? How do we think about this? How do we not bury our head in the sands, but not get down a rabbit hole of someone's agenda? Sure. I think it's, it's a tough discussion. I think, and you know, I'm not a climate scientist, but it's, it's an interesting debate. And it's like a lot of things when it becomes politicized, it becomes polarized. Hmm. And I think that there's a lot of margin, first of all, for Christians to engage in good faith debates and have good faith, uh, maybe disagreements with people. I don't know. I I certainly believe in climate change. The climate is always changing. I'm not sure that I adhere to a strict definition. They used to call it global warming. And I don't think we really use that term in pop culture anymore. We call it climate change. But really what it means is that certain folks think that carbon gases and uh, humans' interaction on the earth is raising the earth's temperature and melting ice caps. I think that there's empirical evidence that some of that is going on. To me, I think it's unclear whether or not that's a natural cycle in the globe, mm-hmm. how much impact we're having on it or how much impact we can have to take it back. I'm not a denier of those things, but I'm right. certainly willing to under- admit that I don't fully understand them. But when you, when you come back to a micro level on a, on a local level, I mean, <clears throat> you know, the, everyone's driven down the highway and seen white-tailed deer. A lot of people have hit them. Right. If there weren't hunter, I mean, there's a balance that has to be achieved in nature. Hmm. So humans exist and human range will butt up against animal range. A tragic example of this is the bison, the American yeah. buffalo, yeah. Um, you know, where for various reasons, and there's whole books written on this, and we could talk for hours about, about that, they were almost eradicated. Mm-hmm. And there are now mm-hmm. only several small clusters of wild herds. The majority of, of there's a large number of buffalo back in the United States, but the majority of them are on privately controlled property, and they're not wild. They're, right. they're genetically separate from the original. And the same with elk. Elk used to exist from Maine to British Columbia hmm. and down almost to Mexico. Wow. And now they're found basically around the Rockies. Yeah. They've reintroduced them in Michigan. They've re- So there's a balance between what do we do as ethical people, whether you find yourself as a Christian mm-hmm. or not. And this goes to climate change and climate right. issues. You know, yeah, we should be concerned about are we raising too many cows such that there's methane gas offs that are affecting and going to ruin the— yeah. Christians and non-Christians should care about that. Are we driving too many vehicles and getting too many carbon or you know, fossil fuels? Yes, but we shouldn't go crazy on that either way. You shouldn't be a denier of those things if there's empirical evidence and throw mm-hmm. that in the other side's face. And you shouldn't be you know, um, uh, always saying the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. I, I think most of us would agree that the truth is somewhere in the middle and there's a balance to be had. We are to ethically and responsibly have dominion and control of the earth. Getting back to our very first point, yep. Genesis 1, Genesis 9. And so to do that, we have to care about what we consume. We have to be thoughtful about how we do it. We have to be open-minded and sort of loose-handed with it. That's great. You know, we should have done this whole conversation in the duck blind or the deer stand, brought all the equipment out there. But <laughs> I thought about wearing some camo, but this is what I was dressed in today. So. <laughs> hey, man, thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us. Thanks for all the venison you feed me. That's right. I love that. It's always so fresh. And thank you for coming and just thinking together about some bigger things uh, like this, like conservation, like hunting, like the ethics of it and what God's doing in the world. Um, listen, if this has been helpful for you, I'd love for you to share this with someone. I'd love for you to uh, maybe like or subscribe on the podcast or on Facebook Live, YouTube. We just would love to get the word out and help folks keep thinking with guys like Josiah. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you the next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.